You are now tuned into The Point, the radio show that explores the Bible, studies its meaning, and affirms your faith with solid Bible teaching. The Point is sponsored by Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church of Early Texas. Grace Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m. Grace Point meets at the Early Chamber of Commerce while their new worship facility is under construction. More information can be found online at pointtolife.wordpress.com or by mailing Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church at P.O. Box 3134, Early Texas, 76803. That's Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church, P.O. Box 3134, Early Texas, 76803. And now, with this week's study of the scriptures, here's Pastor Leland Acker. An exciting day as we continue our journey through the Bible, for today we arrive in the book of Exodus. So turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we'll be looking at the entire chapter, all 22 verses. Exodus chapter 1. Verses 1 through 22. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel." And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shiphrah, and the name of the other Puah. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives, and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing, and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, For they are lively, and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied, and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. For centuries, Egypt was the world's sole superpower. The Egyptians were architectural geniuses. You see this in the ruins that are still uh, present today. 
you look at the pyramids, you look at the treasure cities, you look at the Sphinx, well, what's left of it anyway. And these great architectural masterpieces are still the subject of our fantasies today. We come up with different adventure movies. You think of Indiana Jones and, and some of his movies. You think of some of the uh, temple adventure movies or the pyramid adventure movies that come out or adventure novels. I mean, you look at the architectural genius of Egypt, and this still captures our imaginations today. The Egyptians were architectural geniuses. They were masters of agriculture, of horticulture and cultivation. Uh, they were great at raising crops, at crossbreeding crops. They were great at irrigation. The nation was fed by the Nile River, which flooded annually, which refreshed the mineral-rich topsoil and brought moisture to an otherwise thirsty ground. And so the Egyptians were top-notch when it came to agriculture. They were top-notch when it came to architecture, and they had a mighty military. The Egyptian military was second to none. And back in Genesis, Egypt was a superpower. When a famine threatened the nation of Canaan, or the land of Canaan, back in Abraham's day, a lot of the people from Canaan went down into Egypt because there was food there. Now, Back in the book of Genesis, there was another famine that happened that threatened Egypt's very existence. But Pharaoh, being warned in a dream from God, he appointed Joseph, who interpreted his dream, to prepare and lead the nation through the famine. Joseph's leadership not only saved Egypt, but centralized Pharaoh's power and reestablished Egypt as a superpower. And as a reward, Pharaoh allowed Joseph to move his family there. And so for hundreds of years that followed, everything was great. The nation prospered, the Egyptian people prospered, and the Israelites prospered. But that all changes in Exodus 1. A new Pharaoh comes along that knew not Joseph. He didn't consider how Joseph, now deceased, had saved Egypt. He didn't care. And you couldn't have educated him on this. He didn't want to hear about how Joseph had saved the nation and how the Israelites had actually benefited Egypt and Pharaoh, he didn't want to hear all that. What he saw was a large number of people who were not ethnically Egyptians, and so he feared disloyalty among them and began to persecute them bitterly. This persecution drew God's attention, and God set into motion the destruction of Egypt and the liberation of his people. And so in Egypt, excuse me, in Exodus chapter 1, you're going to see this evil king rise up, this evil Pharaoh rise up. And through his rejection of God, his rejection of heritage, his rejection of history, his own pride, and the evil within his heart, he winds up doing things that leads to the destruction of Egypt. So in Exodus chapter 1, I want to talk to you about the man who destroyed Egypt. And the man who set that all into motion was Pharaoh. God carried out the judgment, but Pharaoh was the one who brought the judgment on. So in Exodus chapter 1, we see... Pharaoh's non-belief, we see Pharaoh's destructive tendencies, and we see God's blessings on the obedient. So let's look at Pharaoh's non-belief. In verse 8, the Bible says, now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Knew not, know not, doesn't always denote ignorance in the scriptures. Sometimes it means rejection. Pharaoh used the same verbiage in his rejection of God in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, when Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. 
Who is the Lord? That's a challenging statement. It's saying, who does he think he is? He says, I know not the Lord. That word know uh, brings with it not only a knowledge, an intellectual knowledge, but also a connotation of love or admiration or acceptance. And so it's not just that Pharaoh doesn't know about God. He doesn't know God's character. He doesn't have a relationship with God. He doesn't want a relationship with God. Pharaoh doesn't care. He rejects God. And so Pharaoh, in Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh rejected both Joseph and God. He rejected the heritage of Egypt, where Egypt had been saved and prospered under the leadership of Joseph. He, re- he rejected that history, that heritage, and he rejected God. And this rejection of his history and his heritage and, his re- and moreover, his rejection of God led to his self-destruction and led to the destruction of the nation. And so the lessons that we learn from this first part of Exodus chapter 1 is that we need to know and understand our Christian heritage. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it. We need to know the history of Christianity, the history of the church, and the history of how Christianity influenced this country and the founding of this country, and the Christian principles that were the basis for the founding of this country. When we forget that we were created by a creator, and when we forget that our founding documents acknowledge the fact that we were created by a creator, then the next thing that falls is the idea that we are all created equal by that creator. And the next thing that falls after that is the inalienable rights that our creator endowed upon us, which is the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we need to know and understand our Christian heritage and our Christian history and the influence that Christianity had on this country. But we also need to know what we believe, and we need to teach our children. Because it's like uh, Ronald Reagan once said, freedom is not passed down to our children through the bloodstream. It's something that has to be taught. And so we need to teach because what's going to wind up happening is we're going to wind up with a generation rising up that doesn't know the history of our country, that doesn't know the premise of the founding of the country, that will turn away from that and in the process will destroy the country altogether. And we don't want to see that for our children. And so we look at Pharaoh knowing not Joseph, and that was the first step in the step toward destruction. But Pharaoh didn't know God either. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, and Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Here, Pharaoh blatantly admits that he doesn't know God. He doesn't know who God is. He doesn't know God's character. He doesn't have a relationship with God. He doesn't want to know God. He doesn't care. God, to Pharaoh, was infringing upon his sovereignty, and Pharaoh kind of saw himself as a god. And so, therefore, Pharaoh rejects God and refuses to obey God. Now, notice, if you look at Egyptian history and you know about these Pharaohs, Pharaoh wasn't an atheist. Okay, so Pharaoh didn't reject God because he was, because he was an atheist. He didn't reject God necessarily because he didn't think God existed. Pharaoh just rejected God. He rejected the idea that he should have to submit to God and obey God. If you look at Egyptian history, you'll, pro- you'll get the idea and you'll get the understanding that Pharaoh actually worshipped many gods, and Pharaoh felt that he himself was a god. He just rejected the true god. He didn't want to submit to the true god. 
And so therefore, he rejected God altogether. And in many ways, our world is like this today. In many ways, our world doesn't know God. They don't want to know God. They reject God. Now, it's not that our world is necessarily atheistic. They just reject the true God. There are a lot of gods that are worshipped in today's world, and there are a lot of gods that are tolerated in today's world. But our world as a whole, generally speaking, rejects God. And just like Pharaoh, our world refuses to obey God. No repentance, no turning from sin, no acknowledging sin, no sorrow over sin. Our world has gotten to a place where sin is committed and the world goes on as if nothing wrong happened. No repentance. Our world does not trust God. In fact, if a politician says that he's going to trust God to work out a situation, oftentimes he is lampooned for that. And many times that can cost him an election. And our world today rejects the lifestyle of God. The lifestyle of God is a simple lifestyle. You're raised up by parents, you become an adult, you marry, you work, you worship, you raise children, you teach children to love God and to know God, and then those children grow up and then you wind up with grandchildren. The lifestyle that God has prescribed for us involves us being husbands and mothers and wives and fathers and and it, it calls for a man to be a man, for a woman to be a woman. But by and large, we have rejected this premise. In fact, uh, our society is getting to a point where it rejects gender altogether, not just the roles of genders, but the fact that there are genders. Our world is getting to the point that we're actually rejecting that. The world as a whole rejects God's lifestyle. And like Pharaoh, our world worships idols. Our world either worships their own version of God, they come up with their own version of God, they form their own version of God and worship that, or they worship some other mystic religion altogether. You know, you think about it, a lot of people say that they worship God, but they don't worship the God of the Bible, they worship their own concept of God, the concept of God that they have formed in their own minds. They, you know, they come up with the guy that they think that God would be. And you, all, you always know when you're talking to somebody like this, because when you ask them about God, they'll say, well, to me, God is like this. Or to me, God is like that. They've formed their own version of God. And that's what they worship. And many times they believe that they can worship this God uh, without having any interaction with other believers, uh, without having any interaction with the church. A lot of people try to worship God apart from everybody else. And the Bible clearly teaches that we're to come together as Christians. And so that's another way you can tell whether or not somebody is worshiping their own version of God. That is the definition of idolatry, by the way, to form your own concept of God, what you think God is like, and worshiping that, as opposed to learning what God is actually like and learning that from the scriptures and then worshiping the true God. A lot of our world today likes to worship mystic religions or cults. Cults are very popular today, as are mystic religions. Things that come from the East are fascinating to American culture and to Western culture, and our society has a tendency to allow that and to learn more about that than they would Christianity. Or our society rejects spirituality altogether and worship the modern-day gods of acceptance, socialism, humanism, and materialism. Pharaoh's non-belief led to his destruction. Non-belief can destroy you too. Non-belief 
rejecting God, not believing in God, is a step toward a more sinful, self-destructive life. And this is plainly declared in Romans chapter 1. And you say, well, I can be an atheist and live a moral life. I can be an atheist and live a good life. I can be a Buddhist and live a good life. The definition of morality is actually written on the hearts of men, written by God on the hearts of men. The fact that you have a concept of right and wrong and that this concept of right and wrong is nearly universal as proof of God's existence in the first place. But the end game here, the end game in God's world is not that everybody should live a moral life and a good life where they do no harm to others. The end game here is that the world would worship God. And when the world refuses to worship God, the world faces destruction. Non-belief is a step toward that. But the Bible actually teaches that there is a progression that goes from non-belief to the realization that there's no consequence for breaking the natural law that is written on our hearts. And so, therefore, we have a tendency to not do the things that are written on our heart that we ought to be doing. And as a result, that leads step by step down the, uh, down the treacherous path of sinfulness. Go read Romans chapter 1 and see what Romans chapter 1 says about this. Start in about verse 16 where it says that the gospel is the power of God into salvation and read from Romans chapter 1 verse 16 through verse 31 and see what happens. You wind up with people who knew God, but they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so God gave them up to uncleanliness through the flesh and and it talks about how far down that road that they went. That all began with rejection of God. Pharaoh's non-belief and subsequent destruction are chronicled here in the book of Exodus. And that's what we're going to be going over through the next few weeks. And so Pharaoh didn't believe. Pharaoh was a man of non-belief. And so that led to Pharaoh's destructive tendencies. We look in verse 10. And Pharaoh says, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. This destructive tendency is paranoia. It becomes a catalyst for persecution he unloads on the Israelites. Without faith and without a relationship with the Lord, Pharaoh couldn't find peace and he couldn't find happiness. He couldn't find security. He's worried about who's going to try to take his throne from him. He looks around, sees all these Israelites now, he doesn't see a nation that was built by building his nation. He sees a nation that's a potential enemy. And so he persecutes them. Without faith and without a relationship with the Lord, true happiness cannot be found. Happiness is defined as the state of being confident and secure. And you are not secure unless God holds you in his hands. You may think you're secure, but you really don't feel it. Warren Buffett is a billionaire. And he's always doing things to earn more billions. Why does he feel the need to earn billions more dollars? Because he doesn't feel secure in the billions that he already has. I believe it was Rockefeller. Somebody asked him how much money is enough money. And Rockefeller said just a little bit more. If your security is not in the Lord, you can't find security. You can't find that confidence. Now, you may be able to find pleasure and you may be able to find joy, and you may have lighthearted good moments, but never confuse pleasure and joy with true happiness. True happiness is the state of being confident and secure. 
And so Pharaoh doesn't have this confidence. He doesn't have this security. So he becomes paranoid and he winds up oppressing the Israelites. In verse 14, the Bible tells us they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Pharaoh, in his paranoia, his lack of security, which is born from a lack of a relationship with God, is attacking the very people who saved his nation by making them perform hard labor and by making their lives bitter. Now this draws God's attention who pours out the plagues on Egypt and this leads to the Exodus where the Israelites leave Israel, excuse me, they leave, they leave Egypt and they leave Egypt with the gold and the valuables that the people were giving the Israelites to leave Egypt and so not only do the Israelites ultimately wind up leaving Egypt, but they wind up leaving Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. And this leads to the ruin of Egypt. The Egyptians never reached the same level of prominence that they had prior to the Exodus. When our non-belief leads to paranoia or misguided anger, we can find ourselves hurting people. And oftentimes, we can find ourselves hurting the very ones who have been helping us. We can find ourselves lashing out at friends, family members, uh, loved ones, and destroying relationships. And all of this because we have the unjust anger or the paranoia that comes from not being happy, which comes from not knowing the Lord. And so Pharaoh is oppressing the very people who helped build his nation to what it was. And then he goes a step further in verse 16. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Pharaoh's non-belief led him to become homicidal. He has now become all out evil. He's killing the Hebrews with hard labor and he's ordering the killing of their sons. And this all started when Pharaoh rejected God and his messenger, Joseph. When you reject God, you begin a downward spiral that has no limit. Adulterers, drug addicts, drunks, the down and outs of society, the criminal element, those who are sitting in prison, those who are sitting on death row today. They didn't wake up one day and decide to destroy their lives and the lives of people around them. Murderers and robbers don't wake up one day and decide to become the embodiment of evil. There's a process that produces such people. There's a process that leads somebody from being a normal, average, everyday guy to being a murderer or from being an average, everyday, ordinary woman to being an adulteress or that goes to leading an average person to becoming a drug addict. There's a process that develops that individual. That process begins when that individual rejects God. So don't be destructive like Pharaoh. Turn from your sins and trust the Lord as your Savior and become one of his people. In verse 22, we see this evil goes further. In verse 22, and Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. In this verse, Pharaoh calls on his people to throw Israelite boys into the Nile River if they see them. Think about this. He has declared open season on Hebrew children. Open season. If you see a Hebrew boy, you see a Hebrew baby boy, throw him into the river. Open season on the Hebrew boys. This is a new level of evil. And now Pharaoh is involving his entire nation in his sin. 
When we reject God and enter into a sinful lifestyle, we often take others with us. Be watchful for that. When you make a bad decision, oftentimes other people follow you into that, into that decision, and you will be held accountable for doing that, for leading them into that. Trust the Lord. Don't follow this path of self-destruction. Finally, we see God's blessings on the obedient. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. The midwives feared God. They revered God, but they also feared his wrath. And so therefore, because they knew God and his awesome power, therefore they obeyed God and not Pharaoh. The question here is raised, do you fear God or do you fear man? Are you more concerned with the consequences in this world than the consequences in the hereafter? Are you more concerned with what's going to happen to you next week if somebody finds out thus than you are worried about what God is going to say on Judgment Day? Who do you live to please? Do you live to please people or do you live to please God? Verses 20 and 21, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. God dealt well with the midwives. He took care of them in this life. He blessed them in their day and time. But he also rewarded them afterward, as they entered the hereafter. The Bible tells us he made them houses. This means he built their families. He built their legacies. He blessed them. When you fear and obey God in the face of pressure and opposition, God notices and he blesses you. So let's contrast this morning Pharaoh from the midwives. You have Pharaoh who doesn't know his history, doesn't know his heritage, but most importantly, he doesn't know God. And not only is he ignorant on these things, but he cannot be educated on these things. In fact, going back to Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2 when he says, "Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I know not the Lord." Neither will I obey his voice to let the Israelites go. And so not only is he ignorant, but he's also in full out rejection and rebellion mode. And this leads to the darkness and the hardness in his heart that led to him turning against God's people, oppressing God's people, and trying to eradicate the very people who helped his nation out. And as he continued to go down this road, fueled by his paranoia, fueled by his hate, fueled by his anger, which were all side effects of his having rejected God, then as he continued down this road, this drew God's attention. And ultimately in the book of Exodus, what's going to happen is God is going to judge his nation. There's going to be plagues on his nation. And when the Exodus happens, when the Israelites leave his nation, it's going to leave his nation basically in financial ruin and Egypt never really recovers from that. And this all came from Pharaoh's rejection of God. And so what we learn from that is that if you reject God, you're not just going to continue living the same life. If you reject God, the Bible teaches, scripture teaches, and scripture is the inspired word of God, you are going to continue to wander away from God. And as you wander further away from God, life becomes more evil. In World War II, we had a number of Americans who went and fought in the European theater. They went and fought in the South Pacific. And they fought to liberate countries that had been taken over by socialist regimes that did not recognize the existence of God and therefore oppressed their own people. And having seen how evil the world could get without the presence of God, 
whether you were talking about the concentration camps of the Nazi Reich or whether you were talking about the oppression that the Japanese Empire poured out on the South Pacific. It so moved many of our soldiers that after the war was over, many of our soldiers went back as missionaries to shine God's light into those countries, to liberate those peoples from the oppression of darkness, and to share the gospel with them so that they could know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. When God is out of the picture, things get dark and things get dark quickly. But the midwives trusted God and they revered God and they obeyed God and they were blessed. God took care of them in this life. God took care of them in the hereafter. So if you're listening this morning, the lesson we take from this is to turn away from the sin and darkness in our hearts. Trust Jesus Christ to save us because he died on the cross for your sins. And then enter into the Lord's presence and live in his light. Thank you. And may God bless you. You've been listening to The Point, the radio show that explores the Bible, studies its meaning, and affirms your faith with solid Bible teaching. The Point is a radio ministry of Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church, which meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., at the Early Chamber of Commerce, 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, just off Highway 377, next to Pate's Hardware. Mail to P.O. Box 3134, Early, Texas, 76803. May God bless you and thank you for listening.